I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep run. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> I'm just going to take a moment to pray as we get into this. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we thank you that uh, you are here with us and that you're always speaking to us. And we thank you particularly for your word and the opportunity we have this morning to listen again to your words, um, to what you say about yourself and we want to pray that you would speak to us um, through the passage that we're looking at, uh, through my words, through your spirit directly into our hearts and our minds, that we might be reminded more of who you are, that we might deepen our, um, both our understanding but our experience of you. Um, and, and on this day when we celebrate the birth of the Church at Pentecost, we give thanks for the presence of your Holy Spirit and we want to open ourselves up to the work that you want to do in and through us as we gather in your name. Amen. I'm going to start by asking you to cast your mind back to, I'm, I'm guessing probably primary school, which for some of you was a longer a time ago than for others, and learning about poetry. Remember having like classes in around about primary school, I reckon late primary school, learning about poetry and being introduced to the ideas of metaphors and similes. Is this ringing any bells? Yeah, I remember my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Tracy, telling us about metaphors and similes and the differences between them and this kind of idea of how we use language to paint pictures with our words. And the thing about metaphors that I find really interesting is for many, many years, it was thought that they were kind of something that you add on to language to make it particularly pretty. So in poetry, you use a metaphor or an image to make your writing a bit more pretty, a bit more inviting, a bit more emotive and imaginative. This actually goes right back to the days of some of the philosophers like Aristotle. Um, Aristotle basically had this theory that human beings are rational creatures and we of course think in logic and propositions. And then when we want to express our thinking in a way that is pretty and inviting, we might use things like metaphors and similes, he said, to beautify our language. Now, who am I to question Aristotle? But he was completely wrong. <laughs> metaphors and similes are not kind of these nice little ideas that you learn about in primary school that maybe occasionally you might, if you're writing poetry, and really how often do you do that, you might add to your thinking. Actually, metaphor is fundamental to how we think, understand the world, and live. And I can question Aristotle because it's not me questioning him. So a lot of thinking done in the last probably 100 years or so, and particularly in the last 20 years, uh, neuroscientists and linguists kind of studying the brain have recognised that we actually think 
in metaphors. We are not purely rational, logical human beings who think in propositions and then try and make our thinking sound pretty by adding metaphors. We actually make sense of the world using our imaginations and our emotions and our bodies as well as our rational minds. We're like whole human beings. Who knew? Like God created us to be these incredible, complex, creative human beings. And there's, there's this great book by a couple of guys, Luckoff and Johnson, called Metaphors We Live By, where they unpack this. It's fascinating. It's one of those kind of like popular level books about, you know, really big neuroscience con concepts. You're like, oh, wow, that's so true. And one of my favourite examples they talk about, understanding how we live in metaphors, right? They said one of the key metaphors that we live by is that emotions are like water. Emotions are water. Now, I don't know anyone who's ever come up to me and said, emotions are water. But you think about how we talk about our emotions. It was just overflowing with love. It just anger just burst out from him. There was just this flood of grief. There were waves of emotion that washed over me. We have this like underlying metaphor that we're living by, that emotions are like water. In order to try and understand our emotions, we compare them to what water does. It flows and it comes in waves. Does that make sense? Get this. We also um, use the metaphor of water to understand other more complex scientific things. So when electricity was invented or discovered, really not sure how, which is the proper term there because I'm not a scientist, but when we first sort of began to talk about electricity, how do you explain to people how electricity works? Well, obviously you can't explain it to me because I don't understand the science of like atoms and all this. But what you do is you use the metaphor of water. So you know those like power poles that we have with electricity going through them? We talk about it flowing, right? Electricity doesn't actually flow, but we use the metaphor of water to try and understand it. So we have electricity flowing through the poles and we're like, oh yeah, electricity is kind of like water. It's not really. But we use the metaphor of water to help us understand electricity. Here's where it gets really fascinating. Without anyone ever doing this consciously, we started talking about emotions like electricity. Emotions are like electricity. There's sparks flying between them. Right? And so what we've done is like we've taken the emotions are like water, <laughs> electricity is like water, emotions are like electricity. And we have all of these. This is like just one example of all of these things that are going on in our amazing, complex, creative, imaginative brains every day. Right? We are living in the world, understanding it, making sense of it, experiencing it through the beauty of metaphor. It's how we make sense of the world. And I love that God knew this well before people like Aristotle <laughs> tried to figure it out and failed miserably. God speaks to us through this same kind of language. There is metaphor and imagery on every page of the Bible. It is rich with these pictures that help us to make sense of who God is and who we are as His people and what it means to be in relationship with Him. I could sit down and try and explain to you God just using logic and propositions and I probably wouldn't get very far. But the Bible invites us into an experience of God using the fullness of who we have been created to be, our imaginations, our emotions, our bodies, our minds, our relationships, our connections, that we might grow in our, not just our understanding with our rational minds, but our experience of who God is and what it means to know Him. And so we're in this series at the moment, as Carl said, where we're looking at these key metaphors that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John to explain and describe himself. This phrase, I am, which connects him to the revelation of God himself, God making himself known to his people. And then these seven images or metaphors that Jesus chooses 
to describe something of who he is. And the beauty of metaphors, like I said, with the water and electricity and emotion, is they're all kind of tangled together. And you have to see the breadth and depth of them to get the fuller and richer understanding. And so I love that Jesus uses seven. And seven of the, the images that are in some ways kind of contradictory, even in this passage that Carl just read, and if you saw the verses before it, was what we talked about last week. And Jesus is using this imagery from a farming, kind of rural community of sheep and shepherds and pens and gates. And Jesus both says, I am the gate and I am the shepherd. Now, logically, you can't both be the gate and the shepherd, right? Those are two different jobs. <laughs> but we're not talking about logic. We're talking about metaphor and imagery and the rich breadth of understanding who God is through how he has chosen to reveal himself in ways that we might connect with deep inside our hearts and our imaginations, our emotions and our experiences, as well as our minds. The thing about today's metaphor that's a bit different to the three we've looked about so far is some metaphors kind of had two sides to them. So if, if I say um, God is my father, we sang that song, Good, Good Father, the implication therefore is that I am God's child. Yes, or son, daughter, right? That's how that Im image works, right? It's a metaphor that has two sides. It's a relational image. If God is the father, then I must by necessity be the child. That's kind of how the image works. Other images don't really have two sides. They're just one way. Um, but the three that we've looked at so far over the last three weeks all kind of connect to our, relatively speaking, to our daily experience. So we looked at three weeks ago, we looked at the image of I am the bread. Like, oh yeah, I eat bread. Yep, I understand the image. Yep, bread is something that you eat, feed on. Right, got that. Then two weeks ago, Mark looked at the image of I am the light. We're like, yeah, I get light. I use light. Light is part of my daily experience. I flick the switch on on the wall. I use a torch. Last week, Josh talked about gates or Doorways, entrances. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I walk through gates pretty often. Right? Today we come to Jesus saying, I am the shepherd. And this is a metaphor that comes with another side to it, an implication. If Jesus is the shepherd, then I, by necessity in that image, must be sheep. Hmm, it's not part of my daily experience. <laughs> I don't have a shepherd, right? I'm not a sheep and I don't live with a shepherd day by day. And so this is a metaphor that invites us to step into a different kind of imaginative experience. It's concrete in the sense that we could see it or the people of the day certainly could see it being lived out, but it's not necessarily part of their daily experience. And so it invites us to maybe imagine and think in some different ways. And I'm going to just give you a heads up. At the end of the message this morning, I want to try and get us to exercise our imaginations and have a go at doing this for ourselves. But for this image to work, you have to see yourself as a sheep. In our culture, that's a bit of an insult. If I said to you, you're such a sheep, what would you think I was saying about you? You're like blindly following the crowd, just going with the flow, going along with what everybody else wants, not thinking, not, you know, not making your own decisions, not rational, not all those things that we like to think of ourselves as. And so this is why it's really important when we come to imagery and metaphor in the Bible to understand the original context, to understand how Jesus was using this image and how the people he was speaking to would have heard and understood it so that we might make sure we get the fullness and are able to enter into the image in the way that it's intended to be. In the ancient Near East culture, the image of a shepherd and sheep has a rich tradition and history right throughout the scriptures. It's an image that would have been familiar to people from their day-to-day -day lives because they lived in a rural agricultural society, right? So even if you are familiar with shepherds in our culture today, the kind of shepherds we have in Australia 
probably not what Jesus is thinking of, right? People here own like thousands and thousands of sheep and round them up on a motorbike out on their, you know, on their massive land out in the middle of the country. That's probably not the image that Jesus has in his mind. In the ancient Near East, the image of a shepherd is an image of a relationship between a person and a small flock that they lead and guide, that depends upon them, that trusts them, that they care for, that they are part of a community together. When we read stories about shepherds who sleep outside looking after the sheep, protecting from them from the wolf, we read about sheep being led to pasture, um, the, the kind of imagery of being led by the water and being fed and, and well cared for and looked after. Of course, the best known and probably best loved image of the sheep in the Bible is... Psalm 23, yeah, really well-known passage, which again uses this image of a shepherd and sheep to invite us to worship and to experience the fullness of who God is. It's a pretty familiar psalm, so I'm going to read to you um, a slightly different translation that tries to capture some of the poetry of it. Uh, you might want to close your eyes because the whole point of a poem to me about poetry and imagery is to use your imagination and to try and picture what it says. Let me just read to you a version of Psalm 23. Yahweh. My shepherd, nothing I want. In pastures green, he causes me to lie down. Beside waters of stillness, he leads me. My soul, he restores. He guides me on paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even if I walk in the valley of deepest darkness, no evil will I fear for you are with me. Your scepter and your staff, they comfort me. You will prepare before me a table in front of my enemies. You will anoint with oil my head, my cup overflowing. Only goodness and faithful love, they will pursue me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh for forever and forever. It's a beautiful little psalm. It's this beautiful picture. There's a reason why it is so well known and so beloved, taught to children, spoken at funerals. It's, it's this incredible picture of a God who walks beside His people, caring for them, leading them, providing for them, nurturing them tenderly, showing them the way that they should go. Hopefully it's a picture that we can enter into and get some sense of what Jesus is drawing on when he talks about himself as a shepherd. He's drawing on this rich tradition of compassion and care and leadership and relationship and guidance and blessing. If you ever noticed Psalm 23 has an odd little turn in the way that its metaphor and imagery works. Right towards the end of the psalm. I don't know if you were trying to picture it, if you had your eyes closed and you were trying to imagine the scene. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, if you're a sheep and there's a table being prepared, what is that generally going to mean? <laughs> sheep don't sit at tables, let's be honest, right? Sheep are usually on the table, right? The sheep is the meal. <laughs> so somewhere along the line in this psalm, the metaphor switches 
And it's like we don't even notice it because we're so good at this whole thing in our, in our brains and our imaginations of dealing with imagery. And so suddenly we have this image of a sheep, not food on the table, but like sitting at a seat being prepared a banquet to feast at. And we've moved to the image of actually a host and a guest. Suddenly we're no longer a sheep, we are a welcomed guest at the banquet where there is a rich table of food prepared for us and we're invited into this, um, this relationship and this community and this fellowship of eating together. And that's another rich image that's right throughout the scriptures, the idea of God as the host who invites us to his table. We've kind of got these two images merging here and connecting and giving us an even richer experience of what it means. Because the beauty of a metaphor is not everything about a sheep is our experience, right? When Jesus says, I'm the shepherd and you think we're sheep, it doesn't mean that in every way we are like sheep. It's an attempt to invite us in to this new way of pondering, imagining, understanding and relating to him. But it comes within the boundaries of all the other images and truths and explanations and understandings we already have of who God is. So please don't read that psalm and imagine yourself, you know, on the table as the meal, right? That's not the point that I'm trying to get across. But remember that we're invited into all the richness and the breadth of these kinds of images. So that... That psalm becomes this image of relationship with God as the shepherd and the sheep that his people carry with them right throughout their history and that Jesus can, when he says those words, I am the good shepherd, the people he's listening to are thinking, oh, Psalm 23. Remember that, that kind of picture, that imagery, the fullness and the richness of what that means. Jesus is now applying that to himself. Not that just the Lord God, Yahweh, the one who created us is our shepherd, but this man, Jesus, standing in front of us, he's that kind of shepherd. But the Old Testament goes even further than that with the image of shepherd. The shepherd image in the Old Testament becomes an image of leadership and particularly the image for the king. Now this kind of happens because David, who becomes the really famous king, actually was a shepherd, right? So he's lived the life of a shepherd, sleeping out with the sheep, looking after them, bringing them back into the flock, them knowing him by name. And so God uses that when David becomes king and says, this is the kind of king I want you to be, a shepherd king. And so that image of shepherd gets applied to all the kings of Israel and in fact, all the different leaders of the people of Israel throughout their history. A shepherd king is a slight contradiction in terms. Again, that seems like two metaphors that don't mix, particularly in the ancient world. In the ancient world, if you talked about kings, you would think of people with absolute authority, people who can make whatever decisions they want, people who can dictate and decree and just force you into whatever they think suits them best. And God says to his kings, his people, I want you to lead in a different way. I want you to be shepherd kings, kings that don't lord it over and impose authority and force your will upon the people but kings who lead with tender compassion and care and guidance and paths of righteousness, who provide sustenance and still waters for your people. And so it becomes this picture of a very different kind of leadership, what we talk about today as servant leadership. Again, an image that Jesus picks up in the Gospels a number of times to talk about what it means to be a leader in his kingdom. I want to read you one more passage from the Old Testament this morning before we get back to what Jesus says in John. There's a number of passages about, about sheep and shepherds, but I think the one that captures this idea of the shepherd leader that I think Jesus is drawing from 
is found best in Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, this is actually a passage where the prophet is warning and rebuking the leaders of Israel for not living up to the kind of leadership that God had called them to. So it's like you're meant to be shepherd leaders and you've done a terrible job at it. And so therefore God is going to step in and be the shepherd leader his people need. But I think it fills out some of this image for us and gives us a picture of this tradition and this imagery that Jesus is drawing on. So let me read from Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds and clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and become food for all the wild animals. And because you, my shepherds, did not search for my flock, but cared for yourselves rather than the flock. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, shepherds, and I will hold you accountable for my flock. I will remove you from tending the flock so that you can no longer feed yourselves. And I will rescue my flock from your mouths, and they will no longer be food for you. For this is what the Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep, and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains and in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land and they will feed in such a rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. And I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That's both the kind of leadership that God was looking for his people and the kind of shepherd that God promises to be for his people. And so when Jesus stands before his disciples and the community and says, I am the good shepherd, he is standing in distinction to all the other leaders, particularly in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, who've placed burdens on people and who've let people go astray, and who haven't cared about the lost and the least, who haven't bound up the wounds and healed the sick and cared for the poor and tended to the needy. He, in contradiction to them, is saying, I'm not here to lord it over you and rule over you with authority that dictates and places burdens on you. I'm here to care for you, to bind up your wounds, to give you a place to lie down and be safe and free and well-fed. I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. That's the kind of shepherd I am. And so... Jesus is drawing on this rich tradition, this imagery that is just so deeply embedded in their brains that maybe they're not even conscious of it, like us with our emotions that are like water. 
but this understanding of what a true shepherd is and does. One who gathers the sheep into a flock, into a community. One who knows them by name and calls them. One who defends and protects them, who cares for them tenderly, who walks with them, leading and guiding them on the right paths, providing them with rest and sustenance. It is a beautiful relational image of a shepherd and his sheep. And it is so different to the leaders of Jesus' day, and I would suggest so different to the models of leadership we see in our day. It's a counter-cultural, revolutionary, upside-down kind of way of leading that Jesus offers to us and that he invites us into. There's one thing that Jesus adds to the image of the Good Shepherd here in John chapter 10. He draws on the breadth and depth of this rich Old Testament tradition And then he says these words that again Carl read to us earlier, I am the good sheep and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And suddenly Jesus is taking the shepherd image to a whole new level. What kind of shepherd would give up their life their human life for their sheep. What kind of love would a shepherd have to sacrifice their own life to protect and care for sheep? A crazy shepherd, you would think, right? Surely your life is more valuable than a few sheep. And yet... Jesus says, this is the kind of shepherd I am. And I don't know what the disciples who were hearing this thought. Maybe they thought, that's a nice idea. Wouldn't it be great to have a shepherd that was so committed to their sheep that they were willing to lay down their life for them? But after Jesus' death and his resurrection, as John writes this gospel, looking back, I'm sure he's going, wow, now I know what Jesus was talking about. Jesus, God, the great I am, creator and ruler of the universe, God in the flesh comes down and not only leads and guides and tends to and cares for and walks with us as his sheep, but he gives his life for us that we might be rescued, that we might be drawn into that experience of community and blessing and relationship as his flock. And interestingly, there's even this hint here in what Jesus says. He talks about laying down his life and he talks about taking it up again that he gives his life but he also is raised to new life because the kind of shepherd that would lay down his life for the sheep is the kind of shepherd the writer to Hebrews tells us who God affirms and resurrects and raises up to new life so that his sheep might follow him into the fullness of resurrection life. We're going to head over the next few weeks into the last three images uh, that Jesus uses in John with these I am statements. And many, many of these different images are connected to this idea of life and resurrection. We've already had, you know, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. Um, uh, You know, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth and the life. And here in the shepherd image, this idea of laying down and taking up his life. John is writing his gospel from a fuller understanding because he's looking back and he realises that in Jesus' death and his resurrection, we get not just metaphors and images and beautiful pictures of who Jesus is, but we get 
a God who actually lives that out in practice and lays down his life and then is raised to new life that we are invited to enter into. And so while I started this morning talking about metaphors and I want us to engage with our imaginations, there's a sense in which we could say that these are more than just metaphors. (laughs) These are the truths of who Jesus is and what it means to be his followers, his disciples. That language that Jesus uses for those who are in relationship with him, those who follow and walk with him, is the language of the sheep. Day by day, walking in his footsteps, listening to his voice, following where he leads. Not because he's told us that we have to and we better or else, but because he is the kind of shepherd who tends and guides and knows and leads to the point of being willing to lay down his life. So I wanted to finish this morning by asking you, what does it mean for you that Jesus is your good shepherd? What does it mean for us as Richmond that Jesus is our good shepherd? What does it mean to follow a shepherd who wants to lead us in the best paths, the paths that that will provide us rest and sustenance, a place to lie down in safety and security, a shepherd who will care for us, who will tend to us, who will bind up our wounds when we are broken, who will come and call us back when we find ourselves lost. It's not about what he can get out of us, but what he can give for us. What does it mean to listen to his voice as our good shepherd? And so, as I warned you before, (laughs) I'm going to ask you to exercise your imagination this morning. So you might want to close your eyes, because often the easiest way to tap into your imagination is close your eyes. And I want you to picture yourself tomorrow morning. I don't know what tomorrow looks like for you, but I'm guessing you have a fairly good idea. What is it going to look like for you tomorrow morning when you get out of bed? So it's the very start of the day, you wake up. And imagine that you have a shepherd with you. I don't know if you want to picture him with a shepherd's crook or with a voice that's calling your name or with the the, um, supplies needed to tend up your wounds and bind you or whether the place to lead you into green pastures. But picture yourself tomorrow morning getting out of bed and entering into your day with a shepherd who walks beside you and leads you and guides you every moment you spend time perhaps with your family at home and then you get ready for whatever tomorrow will hold for you it might be work it might be study it might be in the community it might be with your family what does it look like to enter into that day with a shepherd beside you leading you guiding you speaking to you tending to you laying down his life for you Those of you who've got really good imaginations might like to picture yourself as a sheep. I find that a step too far, but if that works for you. But this image is an invitation to become aware and attuned to a deep and profound truth and reality of our lives as followers of Jesus. We do have a shepherd. Every moment of every day, we have a shepherd who walks beside us, leading, guiding, tending, speaking, calling, inviting, providing. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am 
your good shepherd. Let me pray. King Jesus, you are our good shepherd. The shepherd who knows each sheep by name, who loves each one of us, who understands what we need, what we long for, who can see the path to walk ahead of us that will lead us into flourishing life, to goodness and righteousness, to safety and rest, to sustenance and joy. Thank you for the beauty and richness of these images that engage our imagination and spark our emotions and invite us to ponder anew the richness of our relationship with you. And I thank you that these images are more than just nice pictures in our minds. They are the truth of who you are and who you long to be day by day as we walk with and follow you. And so I pray that we might go out from this place this morning together and into each of our weeks knowing that you are our good shepherd. Give us a greater awareness of your presence, King Jesus. Shepherd King Jesus. Remind us of your love and care. Open our eyes to your leading and guiding. Invite us again to a different kind of relationship with you and with one another and with those that we lead. That the richness and the fullness of who you are might be our experience in relationship with you and might be that which overflows to those around us. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.